One of my favorite verses of scripture is 1 Peter 4.10, which says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I really believe that we were all given a gift. We were all given different gifts to use to help and to serve and to bless others. And one of the gifts I admire so much in people are the gifts of serving and teaching and nurturing children. It takes a really special person to be able to work in the life of a child, especially the millions of children in our country and around the world who are neurodivergent or neurodiverse. And my guest today is taking her own gift of helping children, serving children, working with children to help create confident, amazing kids through customized therapy. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Brittany Winslow. She is the owner of Emerge Pediatric Therapy, a practice right here in North Carolina that aims to create confident kids through customized therapy. A pediatric OT by trade, Brittany has dedicated her professional life to growing a business that is raising the benchmark for what pediatric occupational therapy, speech, and physical therapy should look like through their model of learning through play, educating and empowering caregivers, and building lasting community partnerships. As a mom to three little girls, seven and under, Brittany is also passionate about that work-life balance for her own staff and understanding the distinct challenges that parents are facing on a daily basis. Brittany lives right here in Durham, North Carolina with her husband, Clint and her beautiful daughters. Brittany is actually a dear friend of mine, and she is somebody who I just was so excited to have on the show. And she's somebody I've just admired her work for years. And I am just so honored to have her on the show with us today. I know you're going to love this conversation. And even if you're not local to the Durham, North Carolina area, what Brittany is doing is truly inspiring. And maybe we'll even inspire you to get connected with an organization like hers in an area near you. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Brittany. I'm so excited because, guys, I have somebody live in the studio (laughs) with me. We are being safe. Oh, yes. Okay. We have discussed our own personal who we've been around, and that is a total of zero people other than our families. So, uh, but I'm so excited to welcome a friend into the studio today. Brittany, welcome. Thank you. This is really exciting. I am really looking forward to this. This is so much fun. So a quick background before we get into how amazing Brittany is and everything that she does in the community and just how much I've loved following her work over the years. Um, So Brittany and I go like, I feel like way back. Um, Yeah. So I, but I first met you through actually through your husband, Mm -hmm. Clint. And so here's a really funny story and I'm about to get real personal. Okay. And I don't even think I've told you this story. So for the listeners, we're, we're about to get really, really personal. 
So uh, her husband is an owner of, he's a franchise owner of Jersey Mike's Subs, which are delicious, by the way. They own quite a few locations Mm -hmm. in the Raleigh-Durham area. But the first original location was the Jersey Mike's on Elliott Road, if you're in central North Carolina in the Chapel Hill area. And I used to go there all the time. Um, Actually, my my husband, John, and I, like, we had, like, an early date at Jersey Mike's. My dad met John for the first time at that Jersey Mike's. So, like, there's a lot of, like, memories to that Elliott Road Jersey Mike's. And uh, so I would go there on my lunch break, pick up lunch. Well, this particular December of 2012, so I was, mar- I was re- newly married. John and I had gotten married in February of 2012. It was December 4th, 2012. It was a Monday. And I was on my lunch break and I'd realized uh, that there was something that had not arrived um, in my own personal life. <laughs> and so I went and purchased uh, what some would call a pregnancy test. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> so on my lunch break, I purchased a pregnancy test. Yes, my husband and I had been trying to have a baby. And um, see, I'm telling you, we're getting real personal oh, yeah, real quick. Yeah. And th- I didn't have a place to take the pregnancy <laughs> test. Except the Jersey Mike's bathroom did have a place for me to take it. So, yes, I found out I was pregnant in the bathroom of the Elliott Road Jersey Mike's. That is so amazing. <laughs> so I don't think um, special. I don't think uh, Charlie and Clint know that, but now they do. So, uh, yes, that is where I found out you're I was pregnant. Welcome. And they were so sweet because, you know, when you when you're pregnant, like, well, when I was my second, third, and fourth pregnancies, like, whatever. But my first, I was so careful about what I ate. And they say that you're not supposed to have deli meat. Like, they would heat up my deli meat for oh, me. Yeah. Like, they're just the best. Oh, yeah. And it was always so funny when I would go in because I was always the dead giveaway. Be like, hi, I'm going to have a turkey, but can you please zap the meat for a little bit? They're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then um, after Lily was born, I was in Jersey Mike's again having lunch and we met and yeah. and it's just kind of been ever since. And then yeah. we go to the same gym. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, it's paths crossing. And you have a time. daughter named Molly. Oh, yes. It's a really great name. It is. It's a wonderful name. So anyway, <laughs> so those are our personal connections. And you are all welcome for now knowing the story <laughs> of how I found out I was pregnant with Lily uh, in the bathroom of a Jersey Mike's. So best story ever. <laughs> I'm really, really classy. Um, so we all are a little bit closer. Yeah, we are. Yes. A little yes. bit closer. A little more bonded. I love it. Okay. So anyway, um, Brittany, now that we've gotten to know each other even more, um, I'm going to have you do what I all my guests do, and that's give us the Brittany 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. All right. So yes, I'm Brittany Winslow. So I do live in Durham, North Carolina with my husband, Clint, which we now have been introduced to via Molly and Jersey Mike's story. Yep. yep it's great. Yes. Um, and I do have three daughters. Um, and so they are seven, four, and 18 months. So pretty busy. Um, so between my husband being an entrepreneur and me being an entrepreneur, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, especially when you add in virtual learning and all the other things going on right now. So I am an occupational therapist by trade. So that's kind of how I got to um, where I am now. Um, So started out just wanting to be an OT, kind of did some goal setting way back in the day of figuring out what I wanted to do and um, eventually decided I wanted to open my own practice. Um, And that was kind of encouraged by my dad. He said, you need to make some goals. I said, well, I'm going to be an OT. And he says, "Okay, well, what else? And I said, well, I'll own my own practice. And he said, by when? (laughs) I said, I guess by 2020. And, you know, this was back in 
I don't know, 2008 or something. And so it was yeah. completely arbitrary at the time. But, um, you know, it's pretty cool to sit here and have that goal realized and yeah. um, to kind of look back on how that happened. And even though it was in the back of my mind the whole time, it wasn't something I was like waking up every day saying this is what I'm going to do. But God really kind of paved the path for that to happen for me. And yeah. here we are. Yeah. So for people that maybe aren't familiar with OT and don't live in that world, like what's what specifically kind of differentiates OT from PT, you know, occupational therapy from physical therapy and all those kinds of things? Yeah. So. I practice in pediatrics. And so in that context with occupational therapy, we're really working on functional skills for kids. And so anything that you spend your time doing is an occupation. So for kids, that's play, that's kind of taking care of themselves, that's learning, all those things, and like just being able to be well-regulated to like sit at the dinner table with your family. So all of those things are occupations. So an occupational therapist works with kids to make sure that they can participate in all of those functions of being a kid in ways that they want to participate in ways that their families want them to participate versus physical therapy, which is usually working on more of a discrete like strengthening or rehabilitating, you know, different muscle groups and different functions to have better functional outcomes as far as like movement. And so what you have done is, so uh, I guess we haven't even said it. So you own um, Emerge Pediatric Therapy. And I actually, it's funny because before you even became the owner, I was familiar with Emerge because I have a couple really dear friends whose kids attend Emerge. And what you are doing is so unique and so specialized. And you're really taking, you know, a passion and uh, something that you really believe in and you're really kind of changing the way that OT is done, especially when it comes to working with kids who have special needs, kids who might be on the autism spectrum, all kinds of things. Kind of just walk us through what makes emerge so different? Yeah. So it's been kind of a long journey of, you know, really trying to define and be different from other practices because we don't want to be a practice just like any other OT, speech, PT practice, you know, that, you know, you can find anywhere. So we want to be really different. And a big part of that is making sure that we come alongside the family and not only work with that kid and helping them meet the goals that they're coming in for, but we want to educate the parents. We want to educate the teachers. We want to work with other community partners that they might be working with. We're going to come at it from all angles. And we want to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Everyone is educated um, on how to best work with this child and, um, you know, just also educate people like you know, we work with like cookie cutters, which is a, a hair, like a kid's hair salon. Like we work with them and we teach them, you know, some really good tips to work with kids who have sensory processing differences. If they come in and they're really having a hard time getting a haircut or they're having a meltdown, yeah. like we come in and offer free training to them. And then in turn, they offer free haircuts for our kids a few times a year. Amazing. So we really want to just be different in that. And we, because we fully acknowledge these kids are only in our clinic or, you know, with us in teletherapy right now um, for a lot of them for like an hour or maybe two hours a week. So we need to make sure that the parents are really understanding and really empowered to know, you know, kind of what I call for our sensory kids, like I want to develop their sensory lens because a lot of times with the kids that we work with, they are seen as having, you know, this kid is really behavioral. They're really defiant. They're having these meltdowns all the time. You know, they like they're just these things that just everyone else looks at them and they're like, this is just a bad kid. And I truly believe that, you know, no kid is, you know, intentionally trying to be bad. There are some ways that their system might be wired 
that makes it really hard for them. And if we can kind of teach these parents and teachers this sensory lens, they can look at them from a whole different perspective and have tools that they know exactly how to help them to feel better. Yeah. And when they feel better, then they, you know, respond to their world better. Yeah. So it really is a whole different, um, it's a whole different way of looking at the kid. You know, it breaks my heart when we see families come in from maybe they've been to other practices and, you know, and not every practice falls into this camp, but you know, there, you know, there are some that the kid just goes into therapy and the parent has no idea what the kid is working on. Yeah. And so they come to us and they're like, we've been in OT for a year, but you know, I don't know any of these terms you're talking about, which are really relevant to how their kid understands like their world right. and how they respond to that. So it's a huge piece of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Really bringing those the, the people that are with the children all right. the time, bringing them in. And I love that you've even partnered with other businesses in the community like cookie cutters and yeah. things like that to be able to offer these services. And um, and just knowing how much Emerge has impacted a couple of my dear friends whose kids go there and the, the changes that they've seen in their, their children. And you know, one thing I've thought a lot about, and I've had some conversations with some um, friends who have, again, who have kids who are on the spectrum or who, um, you know, uh, I have a, a friend who has, um, her son has apraxia, which mm-hmm, is yeah. um, where they, uh, you can probably explain it better than I can, but it's like they just have trouble kind of forming the words that right. they need to communicate. It's not that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's not that they can't speak. It's just they they have a, it's like their brain can't, yeah. like I am right now, um, <laughs> like their brain can't quite form the sentences that they need to, to be able to communicate those needs. Right, exactly. And how a lot of the way that there's been changes, positive and some negative, but positive changes in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years when we see kind of the occupational therapy industry and understanding these kids in a better way. And I think about like, Kids that I grew up with um, in elementary school and just the lack of access and obviously beyond and our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation and how there just weren't the resources to be able to help these incredible children. And so would you kind of speak to that a little bit and like what changes, you know, like thinking about, you know, our grandparents' generation, our parents' generation and how those generations approached children with special needs to how we see it now and and again kind of and even the progression throughout our own childhoods. Yeah, absolutely. So, one thing that we see a lot is we'll see parents come in because one of the one of the areas that we do with parent education is we do an evaluation for a kid and then we sit down with the parents and we explain everything. You know, so like this is what this is what you're seeing, this is all the foundations of what we've seen in the evaluation and this is how this relates. And a lot of times we'll hear parents say, "Well, you know, I dealt with this as a kid." Or, and, you know, and things are fine for me now or, you know, like, you know, someone in my family dealt with this and like now they're now they're doing just fine. And while that is great and it's great that we've been able to those people have still been able to find things that work for them. I would imagine the path to get from when they were a kid to now was really difficult in some aspects. And so for us, that's something to point out to the families. It's like, you know, yes, they might have, you might have also experienced some of these things, but it seemed like it was really hard for you. And we can find ways to be able to help your kid now to better educate how you interact with your kid, what your kid is doing in their daily life, how we can work with them in the clinic to help them to make that easier. You know, and even looking at how we're able to get kids diagnosed now, I mean, you look at, you know, sensory process disorder, you look at things like dyslexia, you look at apraxia, some of those things were just kind of like 
not really talked about back in the day. And so you do have kids that were struggling and these kids are being seen as, you know, they're lazy or they they just don't want to try because, you know, they're they're just not engaged in what we're doing and um, or they have, you know, behavioral concerns. But then really there were these underlying foundations for these you know, kids who might be adults now or even kids now in some areas that could really easily be addressed. Right. Um, so it is. It's part of it, too, for us is, you know, trying to help parents who come in to say, well, you know, yeah, I know my kids having these issues, but I don't really want anyone to know about it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to I don't want the schools to know, um, you know, what's going on or this or that. But, you know, for us, it's really trying to help them and to normalize all of this. You know, we all have our own differences in how we learn. And so really being able to help the people who are working with those kids to know that is just so important for helping them to be as successful as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And, you know, and I think also just removing the stigma around some of these things. And I mean, definitely I've, you know, I've had conversations with my dad before about how there were just a lot of things like that, that when he he was growing up, he was like, oh, we just didn't, you just didn't talk about that. No, that just wasn't even, even remotely a conversation. And it was just like, you would just kind of take those kids and kind of put them in a room by themselves or put them with a, you know, a special uh, education teacher. And it just kind of was its own thing. And you didn't, think about, okay, how can we love on these kids? How can we support them and and kind of bring them into the conversation and have them be a part of their own, you know, kind of learning process and um, and, and therapy and things like that? Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I love that because I think that we think a lot about you know, this this new terminology that's coming out within this whole community of being wired differently. Right. And it's not that how these kids are wired is wrong. It's just it's just a different wiring. And right. so there might just be a different path to get from A to Z than we would expect. Um, so I think it's just a lot of uncovering those things and figure out what's going to work best for them. Yeah. And really seeing it, too, and, um, you know, approaching uh, these kids, I, I love that terminology, like being wired differently and just understanding that like God wired us all differently and, mm-hmm. and uniquely and they're all beautiful and we all have our strengths and we're all going to be really great at some things. We're going to all be not so great at other things and just learning and appreciating those different those differences and then figuring out how to, as an adult, if you have a child in your life who might just be wired a little bit differently, mm-hmm. figuring out, okay, how can we kind of like you were saying earlier, come alongside that kid and then figure out, okay, what can we do to empower this kid to really find success in the areas that they are really strong in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that. Yeah. You know, now helping helping them to build their confidence around that, too. And that's, yeah. you know, that's even in our tagline. You know, we, we want to make sure that kids are feeling confident because that's the a lot of times the number one thing we're hitting. You know, these kids are coming in and they feel defeated. They feel like, you know, they're seeing their peers do things that they can't do. Mm. And so they come in and they have this really low, you know, self-worth. And so we want to build that up. We want to give them the just right challenge. We want to help them to figure out like, oh, I can do this and I can be successful in this. And what I think has been really cool, you know, and this is a personal story, but, you know, now that we do have metrics to get kids diagnosed, you know, earlier and there is a lot more awareness, I think it's been really great to see kids who are starting to understand their own diagnosis really early and what that means for them. And I feel like the earlier we're seeing that and the kids understand those things, the way that they're able to handle it is just so different. So my daughter, um, who's seven, she just recently got diagnosed with dyslexia Mm -hmm. and she also has anxiety. And I think those things definitely go hand in hand because, you know, she's anxious at school because she can't do it her 
friends are doing. And for her, you know, we had that conversation and said, this is what this is. And this is how your brain kind of, you know, learns how to read. And it's a little bit harder for you. But we also focused a lot on her strengths. And for her, you know, she's like, oh, well, this is why it's this is why reading's hard for me. And she completely embraced it. And she's able to tell people, you know, like, oh, oh, yeah, we have dyslexia. And she's empowered by that. And now she has confidence behind it. So when we're reading and she stumbles on something, she can be like, you know, that's just how my brain processes that. You know, Mm. and it doesn't mean that it's not still frustrating for her. But I think having the, you know, empowering her and giving her the confidence behind that to say, yeah, you know what, that is how your brain processes that. And you do have some special teachers to help you with that. You know, she works with a couple of speech therapists at Emerge to work on that specifically. And so, you know, But she feels like she can take some ownership in that versus, you know, if she would have got diagnosed when she was, you know, 12, 13, 14, you know, then then had struggled this whole time, you know, it really does impact their confidence and, you know, how they engage with other kids and what they choose to engage in. So um, I think it's so important to be able to to do that early. Yeah, I'm well, that kind of leads me to uh, a question I had, and that was just, you know, as a mom yourself, and so as, you know, somebody who is an, an OT, you work with kids all the time, has that affected or changed how you parent your own kids? And do you find that sometimes it's easier when you're maybe dealing with a behavioral issue or you're starting to see signs that maybe your daughter has dyslexia or things like that? Or does it make it more difficult? <laughs> yeah, that's. I laugh because this has been something we joke about in my house all the time. If I'm like OTing my kids or not. And, you know, like it's hard to kind of break out of that framework sometimes. I feel like I kind of like OT my husband sometimes, too. <laughs> so, you know, we're always, you know, always kind of, you know, taking one hat off and putting the other one on. But It is, you know, I have to really, I have to sometimes look at things like I talked about that sensory lens. Sometimes I have to stop and, you know, we're we're kind of like hitting against a wall and why are we having these big meltdowns and what's going on? And then I have to kind of like reshift into thinking, okay, I need to actually use my tools here to figure out, you know, like how to how to help her in those situations. And so I do pull in curriculum that we use as OTs to help, you know, structure with emotional regulation and all those things. And I will say it is much harder to do that, even though I am very well trained in this area yeah. and I've helped hundreds of kids. It is so much harder to do that with your own kids. Yeah. And she actually has an OT that she works with. That's not me, because sometimes we do have to have that like one step removed. But it is a, you know, in parenting, it's funny because I do have one kid that has sensory needs and I have another kid that like tends to show up just more behaviorally. And so the way that I the way that I parent those two kids has to be different, um, which does create some some, you know, difficulties. But I feel like having kids has helped me to be a better OT and to better relate to parents and to really help develop like even furthering that lens of, you know, really focusing on the parent, focusing on the whole family, because, I mean, I I know what it's like now and it's just really different. I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Brittany to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. How much time do you spend reading labels? A lot? A little? Well, Mama Suds would like to help you take the stress of research out of your life with their truly safe, non-toxic household cleaning collection. They have everything you need to keep your family and your home clean and safe. If you've seen my Instagram stories, you know I love their laundry soap, their household cleaner, basically everything that they make. Oh, their Castile soap is also incredible. But the best part is that they use plants and minerals to make their products 
absolutely nothing synthetic. The head mama at Mama Suds is Michelle Smith. She's been on the show before and she has spent a crazy amount of time tracking down exceptional ingredients. So they're not only safe for you and your family, but also sustainable for the planet. Mama Suds wants to inspire you to live a smart, healthy, and sustainable life that brings you joy and peace of mind. Try them out at mamasuds.com and use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Brittany. So I'm curious and, um, you know, how do you, and I don't even know if, I mean, maybe you, I hope you have an answer for this, but like, how do you as an OT and as a parent, is there something that fellow parents can kind of uh, look for or how would they know? I guess the question is, (laughs) when does a parent start to say, okay, is my child's behavior age appropriate normal behavior or or quote unquote normal behavior or when do they start to say okay maybe my child's wired a little bit differently and I need to look into this yeah you know how do you begin to kind of weigh those things and start to look into getting maybe an earlier diagnosis and you're not waiting till you're 12 you know what I'm saying like how do you kind of navigate that maybe tricky Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you're thinking about that, so on the sensory perspective, a really easy way to do that is if a kid is having sensory-based behaviors, so they're having these big meltdowns, because, you know, the parent might not know that's what it is at first, but if they're having these big meltdowns and things are really hard and they're avoiding all these different things, like all these things are happening and you're trying what all parents try to do, like, let's, you know, if you do this, then you're going to get a sticker or you're going to get a cookie. Or if you don't do this, then we're going to take this away. So those kind of behavioral strategies, if they are not working and your kid just like, you know, for everything that they can do, they can just not pull it together to like meet that kind of behavioral you know, positive, whether it's positive or negative reinforcement, that's a good sign to say, okay, maybe this is coming from a different place. Mm -hmm. Because if it is a sensory based behavior, it is not going to respond to like a sticker chart, a cookie, $100, like it's just not going to work. Yeah. And so that's, that's one good piece. Um, And I think also just knowing when things just seem so much harder than they should be. And if you're as a parent, I think like parents, like trusting your gut is really the biggest thing. If you know that things just if like, you know, I'll talk to parents and, you know, pre-COVID times and they'll say, well, you know, we can't go out to eat because our kids are just like, they just like melt down at the table or they can't stay, like sit in the seat. Like, you know, you see the whole family dynamic is just having to shift to kind of conform to this one child or, you know, multiple children in some situations. I think that's a time to say, like, let's look into this a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question mm-hmm. um, or kind of good good barometer, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I guess that also leads me to another question. That's, you know, how has COVID changed things for you? And how have you had to, you know, word of the year, like pivot? How have you had to adapt to all of the different changes and moving virtually and all those kinds of things? Yeah. So there were some things that we had done prior to COVID that set us up really well, I think, to go into the transition. You know, of course, you know, I always feel like there's some divine intervention that plays into that. You know, we did this huge push to do everything paperless, you know, probably six months or so before COVID hit. And so we rolled into it. We were already really equipped to be able to do things online for the most part. So we did. I mean, one day we were 100% in clinic and the next day 
say we were 100% telehealth. And so it was a really quick pivot, like you said. Um, We had to figure out, we had to learn, we had to train up our whole team overnight on how to do that and how to be successful at that and how to get parents to understand what telehealth looks like, particularly for kids who might be Mm nonverbal, you know, on the autism spectrum. You know, you can still be really successful at doing telehealth in that. You know, you pull it up like FaceTime on your phone and you sit it somewhere and then you're interacting with your kid and then the therapist is giving you some feedback and some pointers. So it can be even more effective sometimes um, for some of these kids. And so, I mean, we had to make that complete change. And I think, you know, another thing that we've had to really work on recently is this whole idea of compassion fatigue with Mm -hmm. my therapist, you know, that these therapists are doing amazing work. They are, you know, the whole idea of, you know, work versus home time is kind of blurred, you know, when people are at home doing telehealth or you know, schedules are all kind of crazy. And so this compassion fatigue now is really starting to really um, like set in for my team, I feel like. And it's also this whole idea of, you know, you know, parents are dealing, the parents we're working with might be dealing with some of the same challenges in the world that like the therapist is dealing with. And so trying to also kind of, you know, help with these emotional regulation challenges or, you know, whatever it may be, knowing like the weight of the world kind of behind us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, and I think that the, the term compassion fatigue gets, can get used a lot um, because it's so relevant. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we're tired of a lot of things. <laughs> right. We are tired of a lot of things. But yeah, finding those ways to keep us refreshed and yes. not feeling like we are yeah. getting into that. Yeah. So, um, well, I just love that. I, I think that what, you, like I said, what you are doing is just so unique and you're really taking um, this very individualized model of working with these kids through play and all these, I mean, I, you know, I've heard, seen some of the things that you guys do. It's so creative. And a lot of the times, like the kids have no idea they're in yeah. therapy. Like yeah. they just think they're playing and yep. they're just like, this is so fun. Yeah. And that's just amazing how you guys have really been able to create this. Um, What is kind of on the horizon for you? Yeah, so I, you know, we're trying to continue to pivot, I guess, and bring more and more virtual offerings for families. Um, So, you know, this year, we're going to work on rolling out some more webinars that families can access. We used to, you know, bring parents into the clinic and do parent workshops. And those were always so fun. And we were able to connect. And so we're going to start bringing some of that in. Um, You know, and I think, you know, as things start to kind of improve, you know, and we can do more interactions again with our community, we really want to dive deeper into that again. Um, Fingers crossed, we'll be able to do another sensory night at the Durham Bulls this year. But, you know, with just adding physical therapy last year and adding the second location, I think this year we're really working on let's continue to see how we can reach out to our community, gain more connections in the community and just help out, particularly in this time where it is just everyone's dealing with different challenges. And so I think even though even if we see things start to improve with the pandemic over the next, you know, few months, I think, you know, those kind of effects are still going to persist. And so we really want to focus on continuing to be there for those kids and, you know, families who haven't been able to get in the clinic. You know, I know there's still going to be a lot of a lot of need to help families as they start to reintegrate back into things that they were doing before. Um, You know, eventually, you know, we want to keep growing. We want to keep serving more kids. um, But we always want to make sure that we're, you know, adhering to that kind of root of making sure that we're able to reach out, reach out to the community, educate and really just make sure that we're providing the absolute best care for that kid and that family so that they really feel like 
they have what they need to be able to be successful without us eventually. Yeah. I forgot about that uh, sensory night at the Durham Bowls. Yeah. Kinda, can you say what that is? And this is so unique and yeah. I just love this idea. So, And the reason I ask specifically too is because obviously there's a lot of people, probably majority of the people that are listening that aren't local to Central North Carolina. And so kind of thinking about, okay, well maybe there's an organization or maybe there's a way that they could work with their local you know, minor league baseball team or hockey team or something something to do something similar. Yeah, yeah, it was so fun. So we partnered with the Durham Bulls, which is a baseball team here in Durham. And so we sponsored a sensory night for them. And so what we did is we did some education for their team. We created something we call social stories. So a lot of kids who have difficulty with change or transitions can look at the story they put out online that we wrote that can tell them where they can enter the stadium, what it's going to be like, who can they, who they can ask for help. They did some modifications that night as far as making things not as loud and they had a special section for kids who um, needed you know decreased kind of sensory input they had special people that we kind of trained up to like go to if they were having an issue but the really really fun part was we transformed one of their suites into a sensory space so we brought in a lot of our equipment and we had therapists that staffed it and so any kid during the time of the of the game could come into that space and they could you know really get the sensory input that they needed to help them to be able to you know get what they needed and go back out to the game with their family and there were some families who we who we don't even work with as clients that said this is the first time they've ever tried to do a baseball game because they heard about this and they really enjoyed it. Um, We had clients who said the same thing. So it was just really great to be able to, you know, provide an opportunity for these families that, you know, again, you know, families just conform to what, you know, what is going to work best for their kids. So a lot of these families were not able to access something like the Durham Bulls because it just, you know, it was too overwhelming. So um, we'll definitely be doing that again whenever they're back in, back in person. Yeah. Cause I mean, we love, love going to Bulls games. And so it's, it's one of those family experiences that, I mean, my kids are at the age, they just, they love it. And so that's one of those family experiences that I realize that like we take for granted and to be able to create a space for families that aren't able to normally enjoy something like that um, to do that is just that's such that's really impactful and it might seem minor but it's actually it's not it's a pretty you know I have some I mean I will never as a parent ever forget the first time I took my son to a Bulls game (laughs) because so uh, my husband's company they usually do like a client event every year at the Bulls and we took Amos and he was like maybe, I want to say he was like a little over two. And his face, <laughs> the entire game was. I mean, he stood there. So we had rented for the client event. We'd rented the little box that's like right behind where the visiting team's pitchers sit. Yes. Uh-huh. So like you can, I mean, like touch them. And Amos the entire time had this like ish eating grin these <laughs> giant eyes and he kept like looking back at me and he over and over again will go mommy this is the best day ever oh my god mommy this is the best day ever because he loves sports but he loves baseball yeah like, baseball is probably his favorite sport I don't know he might I, he loves sports and so it was the first time that he'd ever seen that and he I just have never seen him come alive like that yeah. and I mean I that face that reaction is ingrained in my brain and then one of the pitchers from the visiting team like they're not supposed to do this like signed a ball and handed oh it to gosh. him oh my gosh 
And Amos, like to this day, still has that ball. He slept with it for like a year. And so just those those sweet memories of something like that. And so to be able to provide a space for families to, to experience that um, yes. is, oh my gosh, it's such a gift. Yeah. And we're so excited about finding other places to do that. You know, yeah. it's like, where can, what can we do next? You know, you know, we've talked to the museums. We've talked to, like we said, cookie cutters. You know, we really want to be able to, you know, what are the next things that our families aren't accessing that we can go in and figure out how to make it accessible? for them. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Okay. So if somebody does not live around here and they want to just support you, encourage you in some way, how can they do that? Yeah. So we have a website, EmergePediatricTherapy.com, and we're also really active on Instagram and Facebook. And so every Tuesday, we actually put out some content called our Tuesday Tips and Tricks. And so I think go in there and check those out and share those with any families that you think um, would really benefit from them. And they're on a huge variety of topics. You know, we've done stuff from virtual learning to, um, you know, learning more about speech delays or learning more about PT or picky eating like you know we have a topic every single week and so I think going on there and sharing that engaging with us on social media yeah yeah, and subscribing to our newsletter that goes out um, you know we're going to be bringing those virtual webinars to you know everyone hopefully in the next few months and so yeah you can engage with us virtually now too that's awesome that's awesome okay Brittany now is the portion of the show where I just ask some fun lighthearted get to know you questions all right so Brittany, are you ready for the I, get to know you round? I think I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the song that you have to sing along with every time you hear it? Oh, man. Let's say um, any song from the Troll soundtrack, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true mother. <laughs> right. Those always get us moving. For I know, sure. right? Right? I like it. Um, okay. What person in your life has influenced you the most? Oh, man. Um, I would have to say, you know, personally, even though he has, you know, he's in heaven now, I would say probably my grandfather. Mm. Um, I always, you know, when I'm doing things, I always think back to like, you know, would he be proud of me for doing this? Um, So I think that that is something that um, I always kind of have in the back of my mind. Mm. I love that. Okay. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night, rest of your life, what would it be? Um, I think it would probably be Angus Barnes steak and salad. Mm. Yeah. It's been a while. Angus Barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If y'all don't know what Angus Barn is, you need to travel to the RDU area mm-hmm. and go to Angus Barn. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's real good. So good. It's so good. <laughs> you need to get a hot souffle dessert. Oh, yes. At mm-hmm. the end where they like poke yeah. a hole in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So good. All right. Yes. Okay. Um, what was your favorite movie to watch growing up? Oh, easiest question ever. Wizard of Oz. Oh, me too. They, really? Oh, yes. I was a Judy Garland fan. Oh, you know, I wore ruby slippers with my wedding dress. And I have actually met a couple um, people who were cast as munchkins in the movie. Like, I'm like real diehard. It's it's, Brittany. I know. know. We were meant to be friends. We were. I know. So... (laughs) Another story for me as a childhood, uh, at, from my childhood, is from the age of about, hmm, I don't know, I don't have to, dad, if you're listening, you'll have to confirm, um, from like two to three, maybe even two to four, I wore a Dorothy dress, ruby slippers, and a, and a Dorothy wig with a basket and a fake Toto in mm. it almost every day. Oh, like, man. Like a lot, yeah. Like and and I would get really mad if my parents tried to make me wear something else. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna yeah. need to see some pictures of that. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's they exist. Great. They're somewhere. Yeah. Uh, they're in boxes right now, but they are around. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was a really big Judy Garland fan, and so like two of my favorite movies that I watched 
all the time growing up were Wizard of Oz and Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh my gosh, so cute. <laughs> this past Christmas, uh, for the first time, I, I made my kids watch Meet Me in St. Louis and I was just smiling the whole time. And John John was like, this is a really weird movie for a kid to be obsessed with. And I was like, no, it's not. I was like, um, the music is amazing. Judy Garland is fantastic. I love the costumes. Like, I think I'm, I think I was born... Let's ignore like all the like cultural things, but like I was born in the wrong fashion era. Mm, yeah. Like the nineteen hundred early nineteen hundreds fashion minus the corsets. Oh yeah. But mm, like those yeah. dresses and the lace sleeves and the big parasols, and I'm like, oh, I love it. We should bring it back. See? Yeah. Yeah. I need us to. All right. I'm gonna. If the editor of Vogue is listening, <laughs> or if the editor of some fashion designer who like clearly makes these decisions can we bring back mm-hmm. early 1900s fashion yeah i'm a big fan yeah yeah let's so do, do you guys judge me <laughs> maybe it's fine um okay and then my last question is Brittany. what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose for me it means the making sure that what i am doing is intentional and serving more than just me um it needs to be something that is really serving lots of people and serving people well in a way that God would want us to do that. Hmm. I love that. Brittany, this was so fun. Thanks. I love it. so much for coming on the show. And thank you for the work that you're doing. You are just a, you're a joy to be around. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you, Molly. (laughs) I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.